You are listening to EE Times on air, and this is EE Times Current. I'm Eric Singer. Today's episode, hosted by editor in chief Brett Brune, is the first in a series of podcasts and articles on diversity and belonging in electronics engineering. You'll hear from Electrosoft CEO Carla Trotman on reaching the top. But first, today's EE Times Current highlights. Whitmer's dream team to address talent gap and security. Thanks in part to national leadership demonstrated by Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, the state is getting closer to its goal of achieving global semiconductor superiority. Intel CEO voices concerns about chips funds and export controls. Pat Gelsinger argues that Intel deserves more U.S. Chips Act money than foreign rivals like TSMC and Samsung. Were he to not succeed in these efforts, it would amount to a, quote, major double whammy against Intel, an analyst told EE Times. Former U.S. officials urge new export alliance on China. New export control measures on China are deemed necessary because current restrictions are losing their effectiveness, yet the possibility of stronger controls faces opposition. This podcast is brought to you by WorksWith, the go-to IoT developer conference hosted by Silicon Labs. With four keynotes, five panels, and over 40 technical sessions on the wireless technologies driving the Internet of Things, WorksWith has something for everyone. Check out the two-day virtual agenda on August 22nd and 23rd and register for free at workswith.silabs.com. And now, on to the first installment in the new series, Diversity and Belonging in Electronics Engineering. Hello, I'm Brett Brune, Editor-in-Chief of eetimes.com, and I'm thrilled to say that joining us today is Carla Trotman. Carla is President and CEO at Electrosoft, an electronics contract manufacturing, or ECM, firm located about an hour's drive north of central Philadelphia. Welcome to the show, Carla. Thanks so much for having me, Brett. So you describe yourself on LinkedIn as a multi-passionate businesswoman with a background in logistics. What exactly are your passions and how have they helped you not only succeed in corporate America, but then decide to leave that realm and run your family's company? I'm a naturally curious and passionate person. I'm, I'm just curious and passionate about a lot of things. And that's allowed me to dip my toe into entrepreneurship outside of the family business. Uh-huh. So I built I built an online business while working full-time at Ikea. I was um, a supply chain logistics um, person for their wholesale division. And while I was on maternity leave, I um, built an e-commerce site, which allowed me to learn search engine optimization and marketing skills. And a lot of things that were cutting edge at the time, Mm -hmm. I brought those to the table to my family business. And thankfully, They were all areas in which we were lacking and had made no investment until I had arrived. Hmm, Okay. And what about your choice of business logistics as your undergraduate major? I knew I wanted to go into business and I, but I couldn't imagine myself doing the same thing every day. Uh Plus I grew up in a family business. So you know that you wear many hats because it's a small business. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to dabble in all areas of business, and I found that I did like marketing, and I liked figuring out operational issues. I, I like sales. And you don't get to float across organizations when they're large corporations, large businesses. Mm-hmm. Right. 
I believe that it helped me succeed in corporate America because I was naturally curious as to how other parts of the organization would tackle issues. So I asked a lot of questions of people who were in other departments and allowed me to build bridges, which increased my network. Fantastic. And let's shift for a minute to discussing electronics engineering business. We like to check in with contract manufacturers from time to time, in part because you were able to glimpse the conditions of an entire supply chain from parts suppliers to distributors to manufacturing customers. What are you seeing happening and what do you forecast will happen in EE that's important for ECMs as well as for others along the supply chain to understand? Well, shortages continue to be an issue, unfortunately. And I also see companies de-risking in other countries in order to reduce their reliance, specifically upon China. Mm -hmm. They're giving a lot of work, or at least attempting to, to smaller companies like mine that they would have never looked at before. And some are looking at jumping to Mexico. If we, as U.S. manufacturers, aren't able to react fast enough to this increase in demand, the shift, that may be an issue. Add to that, it's an employee-driven market which is driving wages up, which is impacting costs of goods sold all around. I see also that the prices of ICs in the future will be driven down, specifically because of the increase in manufacturing all over the world. Everyone's doing a CHIPS Act. AI is being introduced into smart factories. Everyone is trying to see how they can create these smart factories of manufacturing um, facilities. So with that, we have the issue of cybersecurity investment Mm -hmm. and risk and just smart devices. Everyone wants their devices to be smart. Right, right. There's a lot of things to keep on top of. Uh, What's the current lead time for semiconductors these days? Like 47 to 50 weeks? (laughs) And what is your breaking point with lead time? How local are your suppliers and how much... Do you get involved with design re-engineering and alternate materials because of the locality? Well, the, the lead time depends on the design. And we use, while we used to do design, we don't do that anymore. We work with design engineers at the particular companies and work with them with design, redesigning their projects around the availability of particular components. So we personally do not have a lead time threshold because we buy and build on a just-in-time basis. The customer drives how long they are willing to wait. And because our suppliers are all over, we use a lot of stocking distributors. Mm -hmm. Most of the distributors we work with will have a quick turnaround. And with UPS, most things are a day or two in transit time. We tend not to get into the redesign and engineering too much because it skates too closely to that design piece and our ISO certification doesn't include design. But what we do is work with technicians of our suppliers to identify potential substitutes and turn those options over to the client to decide and then have their engineer sign off. Okay. So this podcast is about reaching the top. So rather than talk about everyday issues in EE, I do want to focus on you, Carla and your story as a Black woman who has reached the top in electronics engineering. As I say that, I'm reminded that I saw photos of you in New York recently when Electrosoft was among the 140 Black women-owned businesses gathered at the Capitol Conference put on by the BOW Collective. 
your company's name was emblazoned on the NASDAQ board in Times Square. How did that feel? And what exactly was discussed or discovered that day? It was extremely exciting. I don't think that when the company was created that we ever thought that would be something that would ever happen to us. It was amazing. Just you see the reaction of people throughout Times Square to see all of these Black women and owning companies there and having their picture and their logo on Times Square. It was just, it was actually very emotional for us. At the Capitol Conference, what we discussed was that we were able, so on average, the Bow Collective women have, our businesses are around 14 years average age. And uh-huh. those that are members have over a million dollars in top line revenue. And we said, we were able to do that without heavy investment. Most of us didn't get outside investment. Mm-hmm. Most of us didn't have those strong banking relationships. So what would it look like if we actually did have investments? We're obviously tried doing business and we've been successful. So what is that element that's missing to encourage investment? So we pretty much talked about investing in ourselves, using Uh what we've earned to invest in one another. Stay tuned. You're going to hear some great things from the women of the Bow Collective. Excellent. We definitely want to keep on top of that. And thank you for correcting my pronunciation. So (laughs) Bow Collective stands for Black Honor and Women's Collective. Yes. And uh, so let's go back into your history a little bit. How old were you when your father, Jim Wallace, started Electrosoft? I was 10 years old. Wow. And so you were just like 12 and a half years old when the company first turned a profit. Was there a big celebration? I don't really recall because I was rather young. But in it, there was a celebration. There wasn't much money to spend on it. Because so, um, in the beginning, my father didn't really put it out there that we were Black-owned business due to the assumptions that Black people didn't work in manufacturing. Uh-huh. Um, my father joined the military right out of high school because the options for Black men who were good in math could, was that they either taught and or they joined the military and he definitely didn't want to be a teacher. So he joined the Air Force. And while he was in Ethiopia, when he was in deployment, he met a black engineer who talked to him about engineering. And he decided mm-hmm. that once he was done with the Air Force, he would go to school to become an electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. And even with an associate's degree in math, a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, a master's degree in computer science, People would walk into the Electrosoft office and go directly to the white guy who was the VP and sales mm. guy. Uh-huh. And it's because of those. We never, we didn't even think of putting my dad's image on anything for over 20 years. Hmm. It is a sorry history. And how secure do you feel that it's only in the rearview mirror today? Or does racial prejudice still haunt the electronics manufacturing industry in the U.S.? As far as the industry as a whole, I can honestly say that there are attempts at equality, specifically with trying to have supplier diversity officers at various companies. But I have found we have not really had a huge issue because we have a long history of being a high quality 
electronics contract manufacturing company. But when we try to break into other industries or other areas that don't know us as well, Mm -hmm. using our DEI designations to get into the doors, it can be extremely difficult. So first, we have to prove that we are minority-owned or woman-owned. We have Mm. to pay an annual fee for that. But they still don't allow us to get the opportunities. So I'm not a fan of using that designation or any designation to get into the front door because it doesn't work. They put us in a database, which I like to call the black hole database. Uh, uh Uh-huh. That's (laughs) terrible. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's a twisted situation for sure. But I can Um, say that, Brett, people do come to us because of the designation because they are making an effort to diversify hmm. their supply base. There are some of that. Okay. Let's dream if that can be overcome in the U.S., What impact do you feel it would have on the nation's competitive standing? In America, diverse individuals, as you've probably heard, we've had to work twice as hard to get half the recognition. So you can only imagine the level of quality and attention companies Mm. would get by diversifying their supplier base. Fantastic. Now let's get back to a discussion of how you got to where you are today. Because a lot of girls and women and the men who support them will find it useful. So just after you earned your bachelor's degree in business logistics at Penn State, you joined The Gap in 1998 as a distribution manager. What was that experience like, managing the flow of merchandise into all East Coast Gap, Baby Gap, and Gap kids stores? It was a challenge because most of the folks that had gotten promoted had worked their way up through the company over a number of years. And I was only a few new hires directly out of college. Mm -hmm. Plus, at the time, I looked a lot younger than 22. Uh So managing people was extremely difficult because of the assumptions that many of them made about me. But eventually I was promoted, which was a a very quick promotion that created even more drama and stress. And while I was working in distribution, I was on second shift. And it was especially difficult for me because my week began on Sunday Mm. and in the evening. So for me, coming out of school, I had dreams of having this big, glossy job, but I didn't Mm -hmm. have that. But I decided long ago then when I wasn't happy that I would bloom where I was planted because I was going to learn everything that I could wherever I was, and that allowed me to plot my next steps with a little more care and consideration. Mm-hmm. And to bloom, you have. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. But it did take long for you to try out working with your dad as Electrosoft's logistics manager, and then to go on the road, so to speak, and work at Honeywell and Ikea before starting your own firm, bellybuttonboutique.com. Looking back, what learning or growth threads do you see between these experiences? When I decided to work with Electrosoft, my dad had gotten a big contract for the Navy and he didn't trust very many people to run it. So Uh the timing was a little perfect for me. But while I was working on the project, he says, hey, the company also needs to be ISO 9001 certified. Make it happen. (laughs) So with very little resources and no budget, I was able to get my company certified and was my father's go-to for Mission Impossible tasks. Okay. So I would like to say that I 
learned resiliency during that time period. And I learned that all things can get done. Some tasks just take tremendous amounts of time, energy, and resources. Mm -hmm. My youngest son right now is reading or just finished reading Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way. Uh Basically, to tell you that you have to go through some things. I think of the same thing. I basically figured out how to do things that most people dare not attempt due to the amount of work that's involved. Even when I started my online business, bellybuttonboutique.com, home for maternity leave, had a lot of pregnancy issues and knew that other women were struggling as well. Did the research, created a website. I knew nothing about websites, knew nothing Mm. about SEO. But again, the obstacle is the way I had to go through it. And ultimately it was successful. And I was able to bring those learnings and those tools back to the company to Electrosoft and ultimately help it also become successful. Okay, so the obstacles, the way I have to remember that. Yes. <laughs> Can we talk about you and your father's choice in 2010 to join forces again, and then his decision in 2020 that you should take over the reins at Electrosoft? I'll be blunt here. In 2020, was it finally time in the smart manufacturing industry that a black woman will have just as easy a time running a company as a Caucasian man? Honestly, I don't know. I can tell you that at the time of my life, I was at my last place of employment. I was written up for something innocuous, like suggesting we support or vote for someone for employee of the year. Uh, And it was then that I realized that I would never be able to really climb the corporate ladder at that organization because I was always going to be treated unfairly. Thankfully, I was able to do this and call my dad and said, I want to come back to Electrosoft. He said he needed six months to make room in the budget for me. He also said he was going to retire in three years. I don't think when he made those decisions that race played any part of it. It was just timing. Electrosoft was always meant to be a lifestyle family business. It was my idea to go bigger with the company. We do a really good work and it gets to a point where we are turning work away and nobody mm-hmm. wants to turn money away. But my father, mm-hmm. a big, bigger business, he didn't want the visibility. He simply wanted to make a life for himself and his family. And I can't say that it, I've had an easier time or that my father thought I would have an easier time. But I knew that he just focused on having a superior service and high quality product. That's always mm-hmm. been his mantra. Okay. Carly, what would you say are the top three or four makings of your inspiring life story in electronics manufacturing. A story, by the way, that includes being named as one of the 25 leaders transforming manufacturing last year by Smart Manufacturing Magazine. That was a lovely honor, I have to say. I was very humbled by it. But for me, first, I would say that never beneath me to ask for help or clarification. I like to understand what is being asked of me or communicated. Second, I have a secure sense of self. When I walk into a room, there's no hiding that I'm black or female. So I jump right into business and anyone who may have been shocked initially falls in line with the conversation and gets on board with the program. Third, I have an insane desire to win at what we are doing. I'm a woman of a certain age. I have burned the proverbial 
boat. I don't know if you've ever heard of that slogan where there's no turning back. Uh, they burn the boats. Okay. And uh, my parents have created a business that their grandchildren today eat from. And it's my job to make sure that my grandchildren can do the same. And for the women and girls who are listening, what advice do you have about how to succeed in the electronics engineering space? I would say to bring your whole self into the room. Don't try to fit in. Conformity is not the way. Say what you mean. Ask the questions. Be you. It's your unique voice that enhances the space. Excellent. You also earned an MBA. Do you think it was time well spent? And if so, in what regard? Um, absolutely. I, an MBA didn't teach me how to run a company. It taught me how to think and communicate. It pushed me outside of my comfort zone. It gave me the jargon and the ability to move effectively in any business space. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that I did it later in life and not right out of college. I learned more from my classmates because we had experiences under our belts across multiple industries. So our debates were epic. Okay. And how did Electrosoft become specialized in OEM and military requirements? Electrosoft originally designed industrial equipment. We wrote the software and also manufactured it. But the market demanded manufacturing. So we dropped the other aspects of the business. And we also learned that electronics manufacturing is highly competitive. Never compete with a global workforce with low wages. So companies and organizations that wanted to protect their IP and have more control over their product tend to lean to manufacturing close at home. Okay. There's no room for error in defense work, of course. So surviving in that space speaks volumes about your company's extraordinary attention to detail. What is it like to lead a company with such stringent quality requirements? And does being a woman matter? Does being black matter? I think the ability to read schematics and blueprint better above everything. Okay. Half of our staff consists of women, half are people of color. I think it shows that skill transcends all stereotypes. Uh, Carla, as you know, when events are held to boost the presence of and the influence inside of electronics companies the world over, mentoring tends to always come up for discussion. What do you think works and what doesn't work when it comes to mentoring girls and women interested in electronics engineering and manufacturing? I think all people believe that manufacturing is dark, dirty, and dangerous work. <laughs> and in mm -hmm. some companies it is, in electronics not so much. We have always opened our doors to show the work that we do. I also speak a lot about manufacturing and what kind of work I do. People are enamored of it because it's definitely a foreign industry to most. Well, Let's think about it. my My father had to go to Ethiopia to see a Black engineer. <laughs> it's important for us to be visible to all young people. And mm -hmm. as we always say, if you can see it, you can be it. Mm -hmm. I had, I recall a young Indian girl say to me after a tour, I've never met a woman with an MBA. I want an MBA too, but my parents want me to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And it warmed my heart that she was excited about my degree. And I wish I could have heard what that conversation was over dinner. But over the summer, we take on students who think they want to go into engineering or electronics in general. And we've had quite a few come back to tell us 
how instrumental it was for them to build products before going off to college, as it helped them to become more thoughtful about how they designed products, specifically in CAD or other software. Some students didn't go into engineering, but just appreciated working for a Black-owned business in a technology space because it caused them to think that any and all things are possible. Okay. And what about specifically mentoring girls and women of color? I understand you have a vast experience here. You mentioned that a little bit a second ago. I've heard you say also, if you can see it, you can be it. Tell us a story or two. Well, a few years ago, we helped a young Black girl build a solar panel for her eighth grade project. Today, she is off at Penn State University as a millennial scholar, full ride for four years. Wow. She did not go into engineering, but she did stay in STEM, which is awesome. I'm also in quite a few groups trying to help Black women entrepreneurs get over that daunting $1 million top line revenue goal. Mm-hmm. Because Black women are the least likely to receive business loans and investment into their businesses, we still manage to create and grow strong businesses. For me, my goal is to help them see around the barriers and to win regardless of how the deck is stacked. And when you go to conferences that cater to ECMs, what does it feel like today versus 10 years ago? How much progress do you think we're making when it comes to representation by female execs and female workers? The conferences are still the same to me. What I found is that companies are being more mindful of being more inclusive and are taking steps to seek out diverse companies such as mine. Okay. So what parting thought would you like to leave us with, CEO Trotman? A few months ago, the industry partnership that I'm a part of, the Southeastern Pennsylvania Manufacturing Alliance, We engaged to some research through the Solutions Institute at Drexel University. Uh And what it showed us, because our issue was that we couldn't find workers. It it showed us that diverse youth are the future of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. But again, if they have never seen it, they don't know to think of it as a career. For those looking at what tomorrow is going to look like, tomorrow will be young and diverse. So we must open our doors and encourage those populations to join electronics engineering, manufacturing, and technology. I'm sure you're going to be part of the solution to this skills gap problem that the industry has. Thank you, Carla. I really appreciate your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Brent. I appreciate the opportunity. That brings another episode of EE Times Current to a close. Thank you for listening, and thanks to our guest, Carla Trotman, the Chief Executive Officer of Electrosoft. EE Times Current is available through the major podcast platforms, but if you reach us at our website, eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript of this episode. EE Times Current is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Stephanie Munoz. I'm Eric Singer. Thanks for listening.